1: BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back.
2: Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. Coming up on today's episode, what do you do about Nicola Sturgeon? Oh, it's like trying to nail jelly to the wall. I spoke to Douglas Ross, the Scottish Conservative leader, to ask him... How he prepares for First Minister's questions. Has he got any hope of ever becoming Scottish First Minister? And what would he do if one of his front benches sent the text messages that Gavin Williamson did? So that's coming up in just a moment. Before that, as ever, we kick off with our Columnist panel. And it's Monday, so it must be... The Columnists with Libby Rachey. Libby Purvis and Rachel Sylvester on Times Radio. Yes, it's a Monday, so it must be Libby Rachi. Morning, Libby Purvis. Morning. Ah, morning Rachel Sylvester.
3: Good morning
2: Matt. Uh, now Libby, uh, let's talk about your column uh, today because it was a sort of, it was, it, it's about immigration, it obviously been a big um, uh, talking point of the last week, but it's a sort of broader point that you make about the the so-called melting pot and actually having having a mixture of people is probably quite good. Um, I particularly enjoyed the various euphemisms for essentially inbreeding in your column, which is not always what you expect on a Monday morning.
4: <laughs> well, yes. Uh, I mean, it was it was sparked by the one in six of us in England and Wales born abroad because there was some sort of dog whistling, quite racist dog whistling about that because it gets confused with the chaos in immigration. And what I come to at the end is basically it is about competence. If the government could get a grip both politically and, um, and, and just physically on, on the immigration crisis going on at the moment, there would be much more happy acceptance of the fact that we're always a mass of, you know, ever since the Vikings turned up to harass the Pict, you know, we've been Huguenots and Jews and ex-colonial nationalists and every, everybody. Um, and hybrid vigour is basically quite a good thing. Uh, but you get these Anglo-Saxonist extremist sites and you can sort of see the temptation. You know, these lines about, you know, we, you know, we the white anglo Saxons we are under threat you know we are being stamped out everyone is against us and I think we are at a great risk of serious right-wing extreme right-wing terrorism um, and and really heavy duty dangerous ill-feeling if the government cannot get a grip on the actual physical numbers pro- problem of immigration so that's really what it was about.
2: It's an interesting point isn't it Rachel that the, the, the the sort of um, uh, liberal-centrist consensus that immigration is a good thing and it's good if you've got the melting pot and all that, That that's, that at the same time, we have to acknowledge that people have genuine concerns. And if you do live in an area, as Libby says, where you've got a a, 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 a processing centre which is overrun uh, right next to your house or your services are being overstretched because there are too many people and not enough people to run those services, there's a responsibility to re- to reflect that too.
3: Yes, and I think what the point that Libby makes very well is that, in a way, the immigration concern is a proxy for other concerns. It's that people don't feel, they're worried about their job, they're worried about the schools, they're worried about the NHS, the roads, and actually the whole sense that the system, the asylum system, is out of control with, you know, um, Suela Breverman talking about an invasion, that kind of rhetoric really doesn't help, but she herself admits that the system is broken. You know, the Home Secretary herself says it's out of control. She hasn't got a grip on it. And that kind of creates this sense of people feeling powerless. The whole Brexit vote was about take back control. But I'm also with Libby. So she, Libby talks about, um, you know, how doctors who are born abroad had saved her life. That happened to me, you know, last year, when I had surgery for cancer, the surgeon had been born in India, the radiographer was from Iran. And I interviewed Nick Sirota, the um, chairman of the Arts Council last week, who talked about artists and culture have just always been improved and enhanced by people coming from all over the place. So he talked about Dura going to Italy or Van Dyck coming to London and how our greatest artists and kind of cultural innovation comes from the melting pot and he talked about how monocultures are inward looking defensive and unconfident so both those things are true and important i think sometimes politicians are too nervous of making the positive case
2: um and i suppose that's the thing isn't it is not it? you need to be able to address both and acknowledge them But the point that you're making uh Libby, about the risk of a sort of far-right extremism is if you've got the the actual government saying everything's broken and we don't know what to do with it this sort of it, that creates potentially the 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 the, the circumstances to that it, it could open things up to a extreme far right uh, exploitation of that that, that crisis
4: thirties. I mean, as I say very clearly, you know, all this stuff I'm saying about and then that Rachel just said culturally about the marvellous hybrid vigour, is if you are leading a comfortable life and things are okay for you You can think like that. It is very much harder to do if your life is being made uncomfortable by so many layers of incompetence and unfairness in everything from public services to the very broken asylum Mm. and immigration system. And this is urgent. This is as urgent as climate change. You know, it needs doing and it needs competence. And we have had sort of what, what it? Twelve years of conservative government, which has been basically pretty incompetent, um, and lately absolutely chaotic. And something has to be done. You look at at the prime minister, Rishi Sunak, and you think, well, there's a man who looks as if he wants things to be efficient, you know, you just have to look at his trousers, um, and uh, and you sort of think, yeah. Well, they're not that efficient. They don't, reach,
2: they don't reach his
3: shoes. Let it happen <laughs> you know let let
4: let if let efficiency happen, let it be absolutely prioritized um, but the problem is yeah.
3: isn 't it that the the politicians um, and particularly the ministers at the moment seem to prioritize the rhetoric and the tough rhetoric and oh. kind of gimmicks over actually doing something, so they they 've spent i think one hundred and forty million pounds on this scheme to send people to Rwanda nobody's gone yet if they'd spent yeah. even half that money on getting a system you know hiring more people properly training them so that the asylum claims were processed more quickly then the whole thing you wouldn't have this backlog and these horrendous um centers where people are being forced to stay for weeks on end so you'd have a more compassionate and a more efficient system.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, let's let's, let's look. What, I mean, I suppose all these things are connected. We're talking about climate change, uh, Libby. Um, I'm interested in this idea floated by Ed Miliband yesterday. I think actually it's the irritation of lots of people on his own side, never mind anywhere else, uh, saying it was morally right that there should be sort of climate reparations, handing power uh, money to poorer countries who on the front line of the climate crisis. Is he right, Rachel? do you think?
3: Well, the thing about this is I think it's about, you know, obviously these countries need money to help with the disasters that are partly the result of climate change. So, you know, whether it's floods or famines, but that is money that goes for aid that currently should be going. I think that's separate to saying there should be some sort of grand bargain of reparation. Mm -hmm. For me, I would have thought that the money for Climate change related money should be about preventing future crisis and helping the countries to adapt to reduce um, the impact of climate change and tackle the problem in the future rather than some sort of slightly gimmicky reparation. But uh, as you say, there does seem to be a little bit of irritation by some on the Labour side um, that that was, I'm not sure completely that Ed Miliband was talking from the kind of Party script there.
2: Yes, and I think that I think it's fair to say that that's not gone down brilliantly well. I mean, Libya. I suppose that's the thing, isn't it? Is this money to say, well, yes, you do actually need more help, uh, and that maybe that goes back to the conversation we're having about aid and foreign aid and uh, and so on. But rather than just sort of this is this is sort of conscience cleaning uh, guilt money.
4: Yeah, I think so. I think the European Union and the US should have been thinking about this a lot for a while because there's always been a case to look at the debt the richer world owes to the less rich world which in some cases it it pillaged so uh yep yeah, I, I agree with rachel but but it, it is it is politically messy you know and i think uh, constructive action to help these low-lying islands in particular is is more important
2: oh just finally then just because i'm really i'm really obsessed with this story <laughs> have either of you ever spent 110 pounds on a haircut <laughs> Uh, Jeremy Hunt, apparently, goes to get his hair cut by someone called Gladys Lopez, which in and it of itself is an interesting... Gladys and Lopez are not... Wor- My gran is called Gladys. Uh, yeah, Gladys and Lopez in itself is quite interesting. Um, yes, Posh, uh, she she went to him, in fact. Uh, her other clients, included Brad Pitt and Naomi Campbell, is £110 pounds too much to spend, particularly for a man, to spend on a haircut, Libby.
4: Well, to be fair, some of it is because Gladys has to come all the way to Downing Street because he won't sit in a chair next to a lot of furious people shouting about tax. But I think I think it's fair enough because politicians get very boringly barracked about their appearance now. I mean, you went on about the PM's trousers just now, and and if you think of that terrible Julius Caesar fringe haircut that George Osborne used to have, you know, it was positively distracting, and then people laughed at it and wrote about it. So he does need a very good haircut, yeah, it does. just so we don't have to Just think we don't about talk about it. And we it. can think about the budget.
2: Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Libby? Uh, Rachel, sorry. Where do you stand on the hundred pound? Well, £100, Matt, I'm
3: afraid. I'm afraid. I think your whole question is a young man's premise and question and way of thinking about haircuts. As soon as you start factoring in colour and cuts for women, hang on, You say that Jeremy Hunt's quite... dyeing his hair? <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Just in terms of the principle of spending money on your hair. Um, but I think Libby's I, I, sort of right. But the problem with this is he's giving such a kind of brutal haircut, a buzz cut, even to the public services. So it just it kind of
2: yeah, jars. It's, doesn't it. just, it's, it's a good pun. That's what it is. Well, I've been yeah. cutting my own hair for nearly two years.
4: I started, I started
2: doing it the, uh, the 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 pandemic. Yeah, and I've just carried on doing it. Well, that, how, do that, do
3: well how do you do the back? Well, because
2: I'm I know I'm, that's, it's probably a conversation for another day. <laughs> <laughs> Libby Burris and Rachel Sylvester there, and you can read them both in The Times every week. You know that. Just go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash box to subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with the podcast, you've got comments or questions or complaints, you can now email me matt at times.radio. Matt at times.radio. It'd just be very nice to hear from you. Right, coming up next on the podcast is Scottish Conservative leader Douglas Ross.
1: This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk.
2: You're listening to the Red Box Podcast now. It's time for this
1: The Big Thing
2: on Times Radio. What can you do about Nicholas Sturgeon? It was a question that went through my mind last week when we did FMQ's Unpacked. We paused the action live from Hollywood to analyse how Douglas Ross, Scottish Conservative leader, Labour leader Anna Sarah were doing going up against... Uh, the Scottish First Minister. Well, in a moment, we're going to hear from Douglas Ross uh, to get exactly his answer to that uh, question. First, let's get an overview of uh, the state of Scottish politics right now. Katrina Stewart is a columnist at The Herald, and, of course, one of our regular panellists on Dis United Kingdom. Uh, we we'll are bringing you political news from the four corners of the UK every Wednesday. Hi, Katrina. Good morning. Uh, sum up for us, then, the picture in uh, Scotland. Basically, the SNP dominate everything and nobody else is, is getting a look in.
6: <laughs> uh, i'm sure that's how the SNP would like to to look at it certainly <laughs> um but i mean yes the SNP are dominating Nicola sturgeon is consistently doing very very well in polling labor though is uh is sort of bringing up second place there's been a, a definite resurgence of labor in scotland and a lot of that hinges on how poorly the Conservatives are doing in Scotland, a couple of recent polls showed that uh, voting intention would see the Tories lose all six seats at the next general election, so lose all six MPs. I think um, with Rishi Sunak now in power, there could be a chance that they recover a little bit, Um, so I, I think it's unlikely that they would lose all six MPs, but certainly they are not doing very well in Scotland.
2: Um, and has anyone found a way into sort of undermining Nicola Sturgeon? Or is it is it sort of Nicola Sturgeon's all dominant over there, but it's it's Labour and, and the Conservatives fighting it out for what's left over?
6: I think it's going to actually be of, of benefit to um, the SNP to have the, the Tories in this sort of turmoil at the moment. But I think, you know, you're asking the question what to do about... Nicola Sturgeon the question isn't really about what to do about Nicola Sturgeon it's about what to do about your own party and your own (laughs) leadership I think in Scotland for Douglas Ross it really hinges on whether Rishi Sunak and Jeremy Hunt can restore trust in the Conservatives and rebuild the party's brand and that's a, a mammoth task particularly north of the border and I think Rishi Sunak appears to be alert to that in the way that Liz Truss wasn't you know he does seem to have his eye on Scotland he phoned Nicola Sturgeon within 12 hours of being in post which is a small thing but it's certainly a gesture that his um, his brief predecessor failed to, to manage and you know I think also having Michael Gove in a prominent position is going to be useful for the Tories as well, because at least he seems to have a sense that uh, Westminster needs to build solid relationships with the devolved administration. So I think they need to be looking a little bit less at Nicholas Sturgeon and a little bit more about how to improve their own chances.
2: Well, let's find out exactly how to do that. Uh, Katrina, really good to see Katrina Stewart, the columnist at the Herald. Well. We can ask him, Douglas Ross, Scottish Conservative leaders here in the studio. Morning, morning, Matt. How are you? Uh, very good, uh, very good. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming on. But, but let's start there, where uh, where Katrina left off. Uh, it, never mind what to do about Nicola Sturgeon, which we'll come on to. What do you do about your own party? They've made things an absolute nightmare for you, haven't they, in Scotland?
5: Well, well, look, I think the the Prime Minister's been very clear that mistakes were made with the previous administration and he immediately sought to rectify them and get trust back into the economy, back into the country, and we're already seeing positive signs uh, of that. We've obviously got the autumn statement coming up uh, in a couple of weeks' time. There's a lot of focus on that. But also, you know, what we will do for the the remainder of this Parliament, almost two years to go, uh, and there's a lot we can do. Uh, Again, as Katrina was saying through Michael Department levelling up across the United Kingdom, uh, and I'm very positive about what the the Prime Minister and the Cabinet are going to do to help people right across the UK. Is it frustrating for you? Because obviously, being a unionist, you you, know, you 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 agree, you believe in the in the
2: greater whole. That you are part of a greater thing in the both in the Union, but in the Conservative Party, and yet everything that goes on in Westminster makes your your life harder. Uh,
5: well. You know, there are challenging times. And there's no doubt this has been a challenging period. And if you speak to my predecessors, there have been similar challenging periods uh, throughout uh, the time. But, you know, I'm focused on what we're doing in Scotland. Obviously, I'm also an MP, so I'm down here uh, at Westminster today. But in Scotland, there are huge challenges that are nothing to do with the Conservative Party leadership, uh, the Prime Minister. These are devolved issues that Nicola Sturgeon should be and is held accountable uh, for, but very rarely answers. And I think, you know, if you were saying you were doing a debrief on FMQs last week, one of the biggest um, responses I get in my mailbox is why does Nicola Sturgeon never answer the question? And it's because it's always about deflection. It's about blaming someone else uh, despite the fact that she has been in charge either as Health Secretary, Deputy First Minister or First Minister for a decade and a half. So we need some responsibility from the Scottish Government as well.
2: But uh, And yet
5: they still dominate, the SNP dominate politics. Well, well, look, this comes down to the constitutional argument. There are people who support the SNP not because they're doing a good job with the health service because they're not, not because they're doing a good job in education because they're not. Not because they're keeping our streets safer because actually they're cutting police numbers. They support the SNP because they see them as the best vehicle to separation. Now I totally oppose that, but that is the problem we've got in Scottish politics, that the SNP largely uh, hoover up all the votes of people who support independence. It's not a ringing endorsement for Nicola Sturgeon or her ministers because really their record is one of failure and continuing failure. Is it not a ringing endorsement as much as the SNP have dominated
2: politics in Scotland for decades and therefore people think they would be better off is it
5: they're not saying we want an independent Scotland run by the conservatives well most opinion polls are not saying we want an independent Scotland, because actually opinion poll after opinion poll, even with independent supporters, are saying on Nicola Sturgeon's timescale, which remember is in less than a year's time, she wants to have an independence referendum to divide Scotland all over again in just 11 months' time, when actually there are huge priorities that should be the focus of the Parliament and certainly the government. Do you think that referendum is going to happen? No, I don't. Um, I think it's ridiculous that Nicola Sturgeon is spending money, resources uh, and government time, uh, issuing papers on uh, the economy of an independent Scotland that don't answer some of the basic questions. She's accepted now there will be a hard border between Scotland and the rest of the UK. Uh, Again, going back to questions that she didn't answer a couple of weeks ago, uh, I went on the issue that the, the the Scottish Times led on about EU officials saying it would absolutely be a requirement for an independent Scotland to commit to joining the Euro to get back into the EU. And of course, Nicola Sturgeon is saying she both wants to be back in the EU, but she doesn't want to commit to joining the euro so all of these things uh, mean for me that independence would be an absolute disaster and nicola sturgeon shouldn't be concentrating on that she should be concentrating on all of the other issues that are within her remit
2: you you mentioned your your predecessors uh, who've had sort of very various uh, relationships with uh,
5: westminster we and now look, have good careers on times radio well, exactly
2: well i was gonna i was gonna mention ruth doe she took the Conservatives from third to second place at hollywood in 2017 the party got its biggest win in a general election since the days of margaret thatcher since Ruth went, it's all gone backwards, hasn't it? Uh, you've, no, you've blown that no I'm, I'm
5: sorry, Matt, you haven't done your research, because Ruth, I'm sure will tell you, the next time you meet, actually in 2021, we had our best ever election results, so we maintained 31 in, seats. In Scotland? In the, in the in Scottish Parliament? In the Scottish Parliament, Parliament, Parliament yeah, yeah. we maintained 31 seats and we got uh, additional votes, almost 100,000 additional voters across Scotland, back to Scottish Conservatives. Uh, and I was listening to, to Katrina there suggesting a wipeout for Scottish Conservative MPs. Well, I've been there before, I've been told uh, I wouldn't get elected and I was elected in West uh, in in Murray for Westminster uh, and re-elected uh, when the exit poll was suggesting there'd be a wipeout. So, don't underestimate when the Labour, pa- underestimate when what the Scottish Labour Party can do.
2: when the Labour Party is on 20, 30 points ahead in the polls, you must be worried. Well, that we could be looking at a, a Conservative wipeout in Scotland again.
5: Uh, well, I'm going to obviously campaign uh, ferociously for uh, Conservatives to be re-elected and and to win additional seats. Remember, we have six seats at the moment. Uh, Scottish Labour have one seat they went down from seven to one in the last election uh, so we hold six seats at the moment we have excellent constituency uh, MPs from the borders right up to, to the northeast. Uh, Andrew Bowie now a minister uh, and David Dukit as well uh, and we will be defending those seats very strongly uh, and I don't believe some of the predictions of a Conservative wipeout. You don't believe that? No, I don't. As I say, Matt, it's been predicted before. It was predicted in 2019. We were told there would be uh, no Conservatives uh, left in Scotland and six of us were returned uh, and were back in government. That was fewer. You did lose seats. Yeah. Yes,
2: yes. But yeah. it wasn't a wipeout. half, wasn't
5: it? Yeah, but it wasn't a wipeout. That's that's the point I'm saying. I went into the... I remember election night. I told my wife that, you know, I, I will now be home a lot more because <laughs> I had a 1% chance. You thought uh, you were going to lose. I, well, I had a 1% chance according to the exit yeah. polls that I would hold on to my seat. And here I am speaking to you, not just as Scottish Conservative leader, but MP from a home area of Murray.
2: If we had a general election now, would you have the same conversation with your
5: wife? <laughs> well, it would be a few weeks' time because one, uh, the election uh, would be in four or five weeks' time. And secondly, I've already committed that I am not standing. Again. West oh, exactly. I'm going point. to focus on Holyrood. That's a good point. Um, is that because you're worried about losing your seat? No, it's because I made a commitment when I became Conservative Party leader in Scotland that I wouldn't have the dual mandate beyond the next general election. Uh, let's um,
2: uh, have a listen to it. This is a little clip for Nicola Sturgeon. I want to play. I was going to list them myself, but she does quite a good job of it. of your occasionally changing position on issues. Let's just take a listen.
0: But you know presenting officer, I'm not sure uh, we should put much store at all on anything Douglas Ross has to say. Let me... Uh, just reflect on the last few weeks in the life of Douglas Ross, leader, for now, of the Scottish Conservative Party. He called on Boris Johnson to resign, then he U-turned. Then he called on Boris Johnson to resign again, then he U-turned again. He demanded that I follow at the mini-budget. Then he applauded Liz Truss for scrapping the mini-budget. He voted for fracking in England. Now I think he welcomes the fact that the fracking ban has been reinstated in England. Uh, just last week or the week before, he said that Liz Truss would win the next general election. And days later, he welcomed the resignation of Liz Truss. Today, he backs Rishi Sunak. Who knows what Douglas Ross's position will be this time next week?
5: How do you feel li- listening to that? Uh, well, the question that led to that answer was about the health service in Scotland. So, what I was feeling was, why doesn't the first minister address the concerns that we had both had raised with us? It was I was raising cases uh, about people who were struggling to access A uh, and departments, struggling to access a health service in their local area, and she has a pre-scripted uh, rebuttal to me, and and it's great, you know, I know what it was like as a minister, I, you know, I was at the dispatch box responding, and you could basically answer whatever you wanted because you knew there was no right to reply, particularly uh, on the fourth question, and there's things in there that are just blatant lies. The, the one, the one about fracking in England, the First Minister must know that's wrong, because actually what I voted for was an amendment and then the amended piece of uh, motion went forward to the House that wasn't divided on. So what I supported was the exact same as what Labour, the Liberal Democrats, the SNP and all other MPs voted for. You did call for Boris Johnson to resign and then you told him to stay. I will come on to that, that, Matt. Honestly, can I... But that's lying in the Scottish Parliament. That's what Nicola Sturgeon gets away with. She recently had to correct the official record because the example she was using about how much re- renewable energy Scotland generates was just patently wrong. So I think people expect a bit more of their First Minister. Yes, she can do the, uh, you know, boo-ha-ha of, of politics, but actually speaking about health, answering on health, she could have maybe given uh, a response on health as well. But yes, I called for Boris Johnson to go yep. during uh, the conflict in Ukraine, <laughs> along with several others I said that wasn't the right focus to be replacing the prime minister at that time then we had a vote of no confidence now the conflict in Ukraine was still ongoing but I had one opportunity to say did I have uh, full confidence in the prime minister and would I have it for the next year because that was the rules of the 22 committee Uh, and I couldn't say uh, I did Um, but I, I took a position and it simply changed because of a conflict in Europe which I never thought I would live through again. But
2: you can see why that list of you called him to resign, then you U-turn, then you called him to resign, and you U-turn. Well, U-turned, I think a war
5: in Europe is you a pretty. The...
2: But, but what, why though? Because if you because don't have I... if you don't have confidence in Boris Johnson you don't have covered as a Boris Johnson, regardless of what's happening in yeah, Ukraine. And,
5: and I think people know what I think about Boris Johnson and probably what he thinks about me. But when I woke up, I remember it was a Thursday morning because we had FMQs that afternoon and I started my remarks by saying uh, the world we woke up in uh, this morning is a far darker place than when we went to bed uh, the night before. That's how massive uh, that unjust illegal invasion um, of Ukraine by Russia was. And I, I do think it was right to take the focus away from party gate, important though that was, to the issue of the day, which was uh, conflict within Europe. And uh, what
2: about Liz Truss? You you welcomed her as leader, you welcomed the mini-budget, then you welcomed her resignation. So,
5: look, the bigger story would have been if I said I didn't welcome the new Prime Minister or I didn't think the leader of the Conservative Party uh, would win an election. You know, Nicola Sturgeon... When you, so
2: when you said you thought she'd win an election, were you lying?
5: Uh, well, it was a question on question time. Yeah. Did I think... Liz Truss could win the next election. And I think it would have been a massive story if any Conservative panellist had said a Conservative leader couldn't win the next election when we're over two years away. When you ask that question... You, um, you lied. No, you thought she couldn't win, no, but you said something else to avoid a big story. No, I'm saying that would have been a big story yeah. if I'd said something else. But we were two and a bit years out from an election. Yeah. I assumed the Prime Minister at the time would have been the Prime Minister uh, going into that election. I don't think anyone anticipated Liz Truss being the shortest serving Prime Minister but isn't, ever.
2: Isn't this why people get fed up with politicians? Is that... That you don't answer a straight question. This is well, true of all parties, not a particular point about but, but you. I did. You say one thing, you don't think Boris Johnson's up to the job, and then you think he is, and then you think he isn't. Um, you ask a straight question. When, when Liz Truss is in a massive mess, you say she's going to win the next election, and now you're telling me you didn't actually think
5: that. No, no I'm saying it would have been a massive story if yeah. I'd said another answer yeah. there. Uh, and I was responding to a point based on that day. But look... Um, i'm not the only one that changed my mind on boris johnson 60 of his ministers who right up until the final days had said he was the right man to yeah. continue to to lead the party and the the country uh, changed their mind nicola sturgeon has also changed her mind quite a bit remember how she used to tell us alex salmon should be the first <laughs> first minister of an independent scotland where's that relationship but she, gone but she hasn't gone back backwards then forwards then backwards again no but she has previously supported alex yeah. salmon and when it becomes difficult for her to answer questions about Alex Hammond. Suddenly, her amazing memory fails her. And we saw that again with the Ferries fiasco on Friday when she was up in a Scottish Parliament committee. When there are difficult questions for Nicola Sturgeon, when she is challenged on her record and what she has done or hasn't done, she suddenly tends to forget the crucial information.
2: What's the... We'll, we'll, we'll move on and talk about her in a second. But I just want to ask you, what's your sort of percentage split of what decides what happens to the Conservatives in Scotland between what happens in Westminster and the extent to which you're sort of master of your own destiny. How much of your, your ability to achieve what you want for the Conservatives in Scotland it comes down to what happens at Westminster. Is it essentially outside your control?
5: Well, I, I would say less than probably people in London think, and no disrespect to you, Matt. But yeah, that's if, why I was yeah, ask if, a question. If, if you watch the media in Scotland, it's largely portraying, out with exceptional times that we've been going through recently, uh, events in the Scottish Parliament. So I, I do think, yes, when there's major interventions such as new prime ministers, a general election, a budget, etc., actually the focus uh, of a lot of the media in Scotland is based on what happens at Holyrood. Is life a bit easier that you've got Rishi Sunak now? Uh, well, I obviously met Rishi uh, a week ago, so I've gone from Downing Street, Rishi and Larry the Cat last Monday to yourself here, uh, Matt. There's no in, cats in uh, here. I know, I know. <laughs> um, in in Times Radio, so um, you know, I'm looking forward to having a, a good working relationship with him.
2: Uh, Douglas, we, uh, last week on the on the show we did FMQs unpacked. We paused the uh, the Hollywood action to try and analyse what was going on. As you know, normally we do PMQs, but on Thursday we did. FMQs, And I think I was struck, and uh, I think listeners were struck as well, just quite how difficult it is to nail down Nicola Sturgeon. You know, the, the, the Prime Minister in Westminster is not always answering the question. is not a unique uh, thing. In particular, this was uh, Nicola Sturgeon. You, you were asking about the NHS, and this is uh, Nicola Sturgeon's response.
0: Of course, people are right to be worried uh, about the ability of our National Health Service to cope with spending constraints uh, and the impact of Tory mismanagement on our economy. we've We've just heard, since we've been in this chamber, presiding officer, Uh, We've just heard that interest rates have been increased by the Bank of England uh, to 3%, the highest for 14 years, the biggest single increase since Black Wednesday in 1992. Uh, That's the cost to people of Tory economic mismanagement. (laughs) On the National Health Service, of course in Scotland we have higher funding per head of population for the NHS uh, compared to the rest of the UK.
2: Uh, Douglas Wilson, the thing that really struck me about that was talk about have your cake and eat it in one answer. People are right to be worried about the spending restraint forced on us by the Tories, but thanks to us, we've got higher funding per person in, on on the NHS. How, how can you deal with that? Where simultaneously, everything is bad because of the Tories, but everything is great at exactly the same time because of the SNP.
5: Yeah, well, it's because of the union dividend. And and we know that, that uh, per head of population, people in Scotland benefit, you know, by a huge sum of money, uh, every single man, woman and child, uh, over £2,000 annually for being part of the United Kingdom. It's then up to the Scottish Government to spend that properly. So Nicola Sturgeon will get all the, claim all the credit uh, for investing in the NHS, but claim uh, or take uh, none of the criticism when it's not going right. I mean, that question uh, that I was asking about was a series of questions about scans being sent to Australia, yeah. cancer scans to be checked in Australia and um, we were speaking about delayed discharge which is now at a record level when just eight years ago one of our current cabinet members who was the health secretary at the time promised to eradicate delayed discharge and now it's a it's highest ever level. And I was also quoting the chair of BMA in Scotland, who said that doctors were terrified for the winter and the year ahead. And what they got back and what I got back was a response about Westminster bad, nationalist and SNP government good. And I don't think it's suitable. I don't think it's right. I don't think it's what people expect from the First Minister. How long, because I think it's
2: it, certainly from a sort of Westminster perspective, it's a constantly amazes sort of political watchers that Nicola Sturgeon seems so impenetrable from precisely the criticism you're talking about and you're laying it all out and it, you know it's clearly it's on her watch health is a great example and I presume this is why you go on it, it FMQ so much because it's completely devolved it's entirely within her gift and yet uh the SNP outpoll you you know she outpoll. she's still it, given how long she's been there she her, her personal ways are still pretty good for a politician of that longevity.
5: So uh, going back to first of all the topic of health, one I quite often go on it because it's the most common thing that people get in touch with me about from all over Scotland. Secondly it is. It is fully devolved and the decisions taken uh, about Scotland's NHS are taken only by SNP uh, ministers and the first minister and of course Nicola Sturgeon was health secretary and deputy first minister before she became first minister. So throughout the 15 years that the SNP have been in power yeah. she has been right at the forefront of the NHS. Must but, be mad. And, Well You know, it drives me mad, but it also drives constituents mad. And one thing I quite often do once I've had my four questions is I'll have a quick look at my phone to see uh, the critical response from Twitter. But I also see the emails that are coming in and people at home that are absolutely furious uh, that the First Minister is, in many cases, ignoring their plight, who is um, making light of their uh, big issues within the NHS to allow her to have uh, a bit of a go at me or a bit of a go at Westminster again. And I think they would expect the First Minister to be more on the ball with the issues that they're facing talking of looking at your phone uh, what would you do if one of your MSPs behaved like Gavin Williamson uh, well, sending abusive text to colleagues yeah it's not acceptable um i think the prime minister spokesperson says that's not acceptable and there's an investigation going on at the moment if uh, one of your msps did that front benches would you sat them uh yes they wouldn't be in my front bench uh, with the language that's been used but i understand what the prime minister's saying there's an investigation underway uh, and i i don't know all the details but i've seen the messages think uh, Thinking think, in uh, The Independence or something. Sunday, 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 time, Sunday Times. Yeah, was was Sunday Times, was it? Time. Yeah, Sorry. Um, <laughs> so I did, I did see that, um, and I wouldn't expect it from any of my colleagues in Holyrood.
2: Uh, talking about the colleagues, if one of your front benches went to the I'm a Celebrity jungle, what would you do about them?
5: Uh, well, that's a situation we have had in Scotland, obviously, because <laughs> uh, Kezia Dugdale, of yeah, yeah. Uh, the former Labour leader in Scotland, uh, did exactly that. And again, I, I think the criticism of Matt Hancock is absolutely correct at the moment, because we all, as representatives, uh, are elected to Parliament either in Holyrood or Westminster to represent constituents, to ask questions, to respond to constituents. I'm sure he's got an excellent team uh, that can do some of that work while he's away but I think it's totally the wrong priority Do you think he's
2: completely mad? Do you think he's
5: going to rehabilitate his reputation? Uh, well I'm not sure he's <laughs> going to get the the reach to new voters I think he yeah, was yeah. speaking about because I do remember Kezia Dugdale said she'd hope to do the same and I'm certain kezia did that a lot of talking while in the jungle but the way it's edited that type of interesting stuff for a politician is not normally very interesting for an editor of a a show like that so it tends to get cut out do you watch it would you ever do it i I would never do it (laughs) one i'm not a great fan of heights so the challenge last night would have put me off and i'm not particularly keen on snakes or eating some of the things that asked to eat so no i would never do it Will you be voting for Matt to do the uh, calling things? I don't think I'll be voting, but I will be watching. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> By the sound of things, there'll be plenty of other folk willing to vote for him to do these things. I think you might well be right. I think you might well be right. Would you like to send Nic- uh, Nicola
2: Sturgeon to the juggle uh, instead?
5: Well, I'm quite keen to get Nicola Sturgeon out of Holyrood, that's for sure, because I think she and her government are damaging Scotland and Scottish politics.
2: Do you think you'll ever be First Minister?
5: I hope so. Uh, I'd really love to do the job. I think it's important that we have a, a range of uh, experience uh, in the top job and, and different parties. That's why the, the system was set up in it, uh, in the way it was uh, in uh, in Hollywood. I also come at this from quite a different background from all the other political leaders in Scotland. I represent uh, a rural area, whereas the rest are in urban areas. I went to college rather than university, so I think there are things uh, politicians across the political spectrum can offer in Scotland. Go and put a date on it then when you're the first minister. <laughs> uh, if, you, well,
2: if you said that Liz Truss would win an
5: election, you could put a date on it. Yeah, well, l- let's see Let's see how uh, the next few years go. We have uh, three and a half, I think, uh, if I get my sum so right, three yeah. and a half years to go until the next Hollywood election. So there's, happen. There's, there's a lot of, uh, well, lot of water can go under though, the, yeah. the bridge before then
2: that's so all we've got time for on this episode of the red box podcast don't forget you can listen to me live monday to friday 10 till 1 on times radio and we bring you the best bits here on the podcast and if you're feeling particularly
0: nice why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcast from